Welcome to Winging It in Motown Radio, everybody. Happy post-game podcast celebration extravaganza. I am your host, Jeff Hancock. I'm back. Last week I saw James Bond and we postponed the podcast for a few days and I was at work, so Kyle hosted, but I am back and JJ is here and Kyle is here and Joseph is here and the Red Wings won, so I'm happy. Are you guys happy? How are you doing? JJ, we're going to start with you. Uh, this is the best day ever. Best day ever. Uh, that was Kyle, but JJ, the greatest ever JJ. is the term you're looking for. No, best. I prefer Not, greatest. This this isn't about you, Jeff. Who's it's the host? Always about. I'm the host. <laughs> I know. My podcast, even though it's your website. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, I was uh, sick for most of uh, last week, and uh, I'm on the mend now. Feeling a lot better. Um, was feeling pretty crappy because the Red Wings played, they lost to the Boston Bruins and that was humiliating, but, um, they, uh, they answered, um, maybe not in the way I wanted them to, but a win's a win. So I'm good. Well, that's good because I was also sick because I live in Boston. So that sucked. Right. Yeah. That's but, the worst. But no one cares how I feel. How are you, Joseph? It's the best night ever. Best night ever. So we have best day ever, greatest day ever, and best night ever. So if we have a good morning tomorrow or whenever you listen to this podcast, we're all set, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So normally when we get to these podcasts, we recap the week that was. But the week that was is the night of this game. The Red Wings just defeated the Senators in overtime. Your initial takeaways, everybody. I'm going to JJ first because you're the boss. So what are your thoughts on the win? Um, honestly, I want to uh, I want to give Craig Anderson more credit for keeping that game close than I want to blame the Red Wings defense for blowing that lead or all of those collected leads. I guess um, I thought the Wings were uh, really challenging in front of the net in ways that they had not been uh, all season long. They created a lot of those like net front scrums that create the the greasy goals that we haven't got enough of, and they scored one of the, those those greasy goals when Shane got it. Um, I thought they forechecked amazingly. It's just they had a few breakdowns, and Ottawa took advantage of it, and then we got to overtime where um, Gustav Nyquist continued his fantastic night with uh, that back check and then breakout pass to Tatar, who uh, salted away. I thought it was a good game. And Kyle? Um, yeah, no, I mean, pretty much J.J. summed it all up really well. Um, I think that they played a very good game. Uh, you know, I think uh, they just kind of got – they just kind of started sitting back. Um, that goal by Bobby Ryan was the absolute most awful thing I've ever seen. Uh, Glenn Denning just really blew it there, and Green didn't really help too Shocker. much. Yeah, but Green actually, other than that, had a really good night. Um, two assists? Yep, two assists. Uh, so I let Green off for that. Glenn Denning never really does anything good, so I just, I'm just i going to go ahead and hang him up for that one because it should have been a regulation win. But whatever, a win's a win, and I'm happy with that. So... Um. Yeah. Uh. Good. I, I I liked it. It was very. And that goal by Larkin was uh was was so much fun because it was like such a fluky goal. But he now just I went, will say the way no the way he burned Carlson was like the best thing ever. I, I will. I'm gonna Joseph. I'm gonna get to you in a second with your quick take. But I I did I, I give I don't like Fox Sports Detroit's pregame intermissions and everything. I have a big beef with that. And eventually I'm gonna write a post about it for the blog. But I did like Darren Elliott's breakdown where he showed the October 31st goal where Larkin came around the net yeah, and scored cool. on, the, on the wraparound. And then they had the double box with him scoring the goal to well Monday night where 
and, and it's kind of like it makes you think that because Anderson's probably thinking in the back of the head like he burned me once on a wraparound I'm cheating over a little bit and then Larkin was smart enough to think like oh he's cheating over a little bit I'm gonna bank it in off, off right. him and he scored so I, I just thought that that was one of the positives as far as the broadcast goes in the analysis yeah that was really cool I did I, I did like that I appreciated that they did that because that is not something I would expect Mickey Redmond to do because normally he's just like, like our drunk uncle watching the yes, game sir. with us. Uh, but I just wanted to point that out that nice job there, Fox Sports Detroit. Overall, I think your broadcast could improve quite a bit. We'll get to that eventually. But uh, Joseph, I want to get to you now. Your, your thoughts on the, the victory. Yeah, wins are nice. Losing streaks aren't, so it's nice to break a losing streak with a win, even if it had to come in overtime. And, you know, Glendening is Glendening. I actually would put a lot of blame on Blaschel for putting him out there in that situation. One goal lead late in the third period. Glendening is not the guy I would want on the ice defending a one-goal lead, try to get us a win. Uh, I caught it. I came home from work. I caught about half the second half of the game. Uh, saw the Larkin goal on a highlight that was really awesome. Uh, I was watch. I got I got stuck with the Canadian feed and on the Shea goal they Damn kept talking. Canadians. Yeah, on the Shea goal they kept talking about uh, Glenn Denning high sticking the puck and then Shea batting it into the net. And I'm thinking, you know what? They're not going to disallow the goal because of Glenn Denning high sticking it because he's not the one that eventually scored the goal. So if they're not going to call that, if they're not going to blow the play dead because of that, then that's not reviewable. So, you know, you know me, the rules guy, that really ticked me off a little bit. But two points, best night ever. Yeah, exactly. Now, I, I'm going to get into, I mean, pregame, I'm going to th- throw this out there. Pre-game, I, I was critical in our group, Chad, of, and, and I feel like we all were, of Miller being on the quote-unquote third line uh, with Athanasiu and uh, Polkanen. Eventually, things got switched up. We saw Polkanen move up with Datsuk. Tatar was on that third line. Things moved around as the game went on, so so none of the lines exactly stayed the same from beforehand. But I, I personally liked the idea of Datsuk and Polkanen together. I feel like Datsuk is a guy that understand can understand Polkanen's strength and set him up not that Athanasiu couldn't do that just Polk Datsuk's obviously better just 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 Miller being on that third line I, I don't know where where were your heads at as far as just Blaschel's deployment of everybody tonight and 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 the, the lines that we saw well I'm happy to see that you know looking only at the even strength stuff not not worrying about the special teams um Drew Miller did end up last on the team as far as time on ice. He played uh, just under eight minutes uh, at even, um, and the Red Wings didn't have that many penalties to kill off, so it's not exactly like he spent most of his night doing that, where the number one forward for ice time for the Red Wings was Pavel Datsuk. Um, 17-20? Yeah. So I'm happier with that. Uh, Glenn Denning did sneak up to to where he was – he was almost a full minute behind Applicator, so I mean he had he had more time more time on ice than Helm, Tatar, Polkanen, Athanasiu, and Miller, which isn't great, but he wasn't one of the leaders in ice time. He was several minutes behind uh, the actual uh, good offensive players. Yeah, um, I mean I, I I'm not I don't have many complaints with the way that uh, Blashell divvied up the the time on ice tonight. Um, the only thing that I think, like, I would criticize right now is um, Athanasiu, he's just, he's starting to, I think he's earning four minutes. Um, he's just really, really good. 
uh, his speed is is great, and his hands really really um, put him at the next level. Um, I would he didn't see any special teams time, and he he really hasn't since he came here. Um, I'd really like to see that change. Um, I, you know, not so much on the power play, but I mean, you know, it might be worth a look because their power play is very good right now. But I'd love to see him on the penalty kill because he's smart defensively. And, uh, you know, if you give him it, just the, a, a loose puck, he's gone. And I don't think anybody's going to catch up with him. So I think I think that's something that I would really like to see going forward. It, you know, even though it's probably unlikely, it would still be really fun. He'd be the new Darren Helm. Uh, yeah, but better. Helm with the hands. New, the new Helm. young version of Darren Helm with hands. Right. And that's 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 later, you know, because Darren Helm's going to get a four-year contract extension. So. <laughs> For what? $4.5 million? Uh, no, he'll get less than Abby, so he'll get like 3.5 maybe. Can't wait. I'm really excited. For that. Yeah, it'll be good. Get the Manitoba hometown discount. Right. And Joseph, I, you, you got... You. I think if uh, anybody on the Red Wings would have scored that didn't score, um, Athens was probably the most deserving. He had oh yeah, that, he, yeah. He had that play where he danced through four Ottawa defenders and got a really good shot on net that Anderson saved. That right. had he not saved it, that would have been on his high. Like you know how the Datsuk goal against um, the Predators is Actually, on every yeah. single Datsuk uh, highlight reel. That would have been Athens uh highlight reel. Oh for goal. sure. Is that yeah. a play where he was streaking in and then cut across the crease and couldn't bury it? Yeah, there was that one too. There was that one too. Well, and he had, I feel yeah, like it was the first period, right, where he had a nice play where he set up Polkinen for a one-timer on the rush. I think that was him. If it wasn't him, my was apologies. Great. But I, I thought that was, a, I noticed that play. I remember that play in my head. Uh, yeah. So all that supports what Kyle says is that he deserved, he probably deserves more ice time. Now, I was going to get to this later, but we, we kind of don't want Richards back, or, or right? Because <laughs> Richards coming back, as much as we wish it means Glenn Denning's out of the lineup and Richards is that fourth-line center, Richards takes away a, a spot and he goes back to Grand Rapids. I mean, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't see how it's not. Unless he starts scoring, like, goals out the ass. Yeah, see, I don't know. I, I, I think, like, I'm not saying that Richards is, like, useless, um, he's not. He's not. I don't he, think he, he is either. He's like, I don't know. I, that veteran presence is great. Um, but, I mean, they don't have to send after the CU down. They could just, you know, maybe nudge. That's Drew Miller. Or, I don't know, send Anderson on, put Anderson on waivers and maybe possibly just put the best team out on the ice possible. That would That's be ideal. Cool. But um, that probably won't happen. And... Uh, Athletasio will likely uh, get sent down to uh, Grand Rapids, and that's not the smartest move, but it is what it is. It's nothing new. We all know that that's the Red Wings' way of doing things. So um, when it happens, I will only be mildly upset. I I hope that's not the case, and I hope that because Blaschel's coaching this team as opposed to Babcock, and we've seen Larkin make this team, that maybe there's a chance that, hey, Drew Miller, you're sitting, and AA gets that time on the PK, and someone else can fill that role like we just expressed we hope to see. So so that's something I hope is not a strategy. I always say hope is not a strategy, but I hope that's the case. Well, I mean, it's a pipe dream, but if you were to take Glenn Denning out of the lineup instead for Richards and keep Miller in, You'd have a PK of Athanasiu and Miller. You have a shot blocking king. Good. Let's be fair though. Glenn Denning's not coming out of this lineup. No, not 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 happening ever. Unless any, he's injured. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. Um, and I, honestly, like 
Sorry to interrupt you. No, I, I mean, you, I, I'm, I'm interrupting. I'm interrupting now. Uh, I'm the interrupting cow now. Um, oh. I mean, I've, we've seen Glenn Denning's minutes kind of, I mean, I don't know. He still played 14 minutes of even strength time tonight, which is too much. It's a, a lot. I mean, uh, I'll still take that over 20. I would too, but... We're getting there. Maybe look it's training me. wheels. Look like at, we're trying. I'm the interrupter now. We're, we're trying to put the training wheels back on, <laughs> basically. <laughs> he should be playing more than Tatar. I'll just say that. Fought right through that. Good job, Kyle. What? <laughs> 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 That's how he does it. He's just, I'm not listening at all. Nothing. Nothing. Carry on. Thanks. Thanks, JJ. All right. I'm <laughs> done talking. Screw you guys. Well, since Kyle's done talking. I, I I just just I'm going off the group. We got this little fancy group chat thing and the Slack thing that we, we we the whim people all talk about. We talk about games all the time. We're we're best friends. We're like a family. It's great. It's like I have my own family and then I have my hockey family. It's fantastic. And a lot of the topic of conversation during the game against the Senators was about Alexei Marchenko. And I know Kyle and JJ, you guys, and Michelle even chimed in as well. Uh, talked about his game against the Senators, and I just want you to elaborate more on, on just what he's been bringing to the table, because I think he's not putting up the points offensively, but he's not necessarily supposed to, and he's still having an impact on the game. So feel free, either of you, to jump in and just talk about his his, his game on the ice against the He's Senators. underrated. I think uh, he, even tonight, um, he had multiple like very under, underrated defensive plays, um, and I think that uh, he... he He's really, I don't know, I mean, you know, I'd like to see him on the score sheet more often, um, but I don't know, I guess I'd rather have a guy be, you know, inept offensively than inept defensively. I, I know that sounds stupid, but... Sounds like Glenn Denning, but on defense. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he's smart in his own zone. He can battle along the boards, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I can't really complain with that. So, I like him. Um but I also wouldn't mind giving uh, um, Jensen a look. You know, kind of like the opposite spectrum. You know, he's still good in his own zone, but he's got that offensive flair. So, I don't know. I think they have a good situation now that Quincy is hurt and won't be back and probably should never come back. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's an unfortunate thing about. Uh, Marchenko's job out there was to make <laughs> uh, Jakob Kindle look good, and he succeeded. He was. With a plum. Cause he right, made- yeah. Jakob Kindle did look good in this game, and it was that's Marchenko is is back there to cut down on the stupid turnovers, trying to exit the zone, just make the the zone entry or zone exits a little uh, a little simpler, make it make a little more sense. So you don't have to. He doesn't necessarily entirely drive the transition, but it's just the little things he does. He makes fewer mistakes under pressure from the forecheck. He picks the puck out of out of legs in in board battles behind the net a little bit cleaner than than everybody else um honestly if if he had an offensive bone in his body and i think he i think he's developing into it right really well i think he's got a smart shot selection he's just he's not great at that um if he develops that he is uh i think he's easily a top four guy i i think i'm yeah for sure it took me a long time to get sold on marchenko because he just doesn't do anything very flashy but it's it's that part where you're looking at the guy thinking like, okay, when was the last Marchenko screw up? And I can't remember any. It's um, probably the last time he was on the ice with Brendan Smith. Yeah. What does Marchenko not do well in the, in the defensive zone? And the answer is, I, I don't know. Like he's, I, I, he's not physical, I guess, but he doesn't really need to be the, 
the, the point is to get the puck. Joseph? Yeah, I know this isn't really the era of the defensive defenseman anymore, but I still think that for a guy like Marchenko, uh, you know, being unnoticed is a good thing when it comes to him. Like, he doesn't stand out because of his mistakes. He doesn't stand out because of his mistakes. He doesn't stand out because he's done anything like highlight reel worthy. And you know, for now, that will that works for him, especially when his supposed unnoticed role actually makes everybody up makes other players around him better like we just said with Kindle looking good tonight uh i forget who tweeted it out i think it might have been prashant uh Kindle was like a plus 20 at even plus 21 corsi 4 i'm sorry plus 14 corsi 4 at evens today uh, i've got him at plus uh, 15 that's that correct match. even I even better you can continue your thought yeah so yeah don't yeah that was it Oh, that was it. Of course that was it. <laughs> Marchenko's good. Kindle played well. Uh, yeah, definitely. And and he's earned a spot in the lineup, and he, he should definitely stay in the lineup. I think we should continue the, the Kindle-Smith flip-flopping and that third pair. And it's like when you're on the third pair, I guess personally I'm not expecting you to put up points. I'm not expecting you, you know, if I don't notice you making mistakes and I don't notice you making excellent offensive plays, that's a good night. If you're on that third pair because you're on the fucking third pair and i swore and there's our explicit rating it. <laughs> jesus christ jeff so 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 that's where we're at but i'm now gonna tr- switch gears from defense to offense because we have what three games of pavel datsuk under the belt and we have pavel datsuk back and pavel datsuk as everyone knows is pavel datsuk and he's amazing uh, your assessment, JJ, I'm starting with you. San Jose, Boston, now Ottawa, three-game sample size. How is the best two-way player in the game of hockey look to you? Well, I thought it was really funny. He said that he felt like he couldn't keep up in the San Jose game because I thought he was uh, really, really good throughout the first period. And then he, he did kind of kind of trail off, but that was also because they were uh, they were matching up more against Thornton. And Thornton versus Datsuk has always been a really good matchup. Um, that's gone back and forth a ton, but Datsuk's very first game of the season against Joe Thornton, that's that's maybe a little tough. And then against Boston, basically the whole team didn't really look good. Um, Datsuk wasn't ter- terribly noticeable, so uh, that's just a, that's the sophomore slump of his return. And then tonight, uh, I thought that even though the Larkin goal was set up by <clears throat> Larkin coming in with uh, with a ton of speed and and absolutely clowning Eric Carlson going for a hip check, and then uh, embarrassing Anderson by uh, basically rope-a-doping him on the, the wraparound again. That whole shift was essentially Pavel Datsuk pinning the Senators into their own zone for what felt like a good 30 seconds before the they finally got like a panic clear that turned back into Larkin coming back into the zone with speed. So... Um, it wasn't exactly a cycle, but it was a four-check game by, by Datsuk where they just could not get the puck away from him safely. And uh, that was what he was like. He just Luke makes Landon. space. Go ahead. Luke, Luke, Luke Lindening has more points than Datsuk does in the three games. <laughs> All right, I'm done. Fuck you, Kyle. Excuse me. The family show. Not anymore. I already blew it. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Dick. But outside, I know you love Luke Glendon and Kyle because you have a what? Luke Glendon jersey. Whether you bought it or not, you still wear it. Ipso facto, something, fancy words, you love him. We're talking about Datsuk now. So I want to yeah, know, know your thoughts about Pavel Datsuk because 
I love him, and everyone else should as well. So right. tell me how he played. Um, he looks fine. Uh, I, he's still, I mean, he still does those crazy little moves with the puck um, where like 99% or probably 99.9% of all NHL players would completely fumble it. He continues to just dangle it around everybody. Um, I, you could, I, I, maybe it's just me, but his skating is obviously noticeably different now. Um, he's not what it used to be and that's to be expected because of age and the ankle and everything. Um, but I think that, you know, we, you know, we've only we've only had him for a few games. If we give him a little bit more time, I think uh, you know he'll he'll fire up the engine, and uh, you know he he'll get he'll get the uh, he'll get the chance. Um, you know, he'll start putting it in the net or setting up a a sweet goal. Um, but uh, you could definitely tell that when he's on the ice, uh, you know, he's there, it's definitely like the other team is pretty much forced to respect him. It's not even like I mean, you know, it's. You try and respect Atsuk with covering him, but he still just, you know, punks you out. That's my take. Joseph? I think Datsuk's pretty much getting there. Uh, obviously, you, you hope that he would be able to get going right out of the gates, which is a bit too optimistic in some senses, but he's pretty much he's pretty much probably going to break out very, very soon with some sort of ridiculously offensive explosion, which is probably three points given today's NHL scoring standard. Uh, but, eh. but I think the thing that I was most looking forward to, aside from having him back in the lineup, is that slotting him back in helps the forward depth out a lot more. It, I guess it didn't really help too much tonight, considering Drew Miller was on the third line, but, you know, it's another it's another matchup that the opponent has to take care has to take care of and you know who knows if that if the line of Datsuk, Larkin and Polkanen stays together I think that can really wreak a lot of havoc uh going into Thanksgiving going into Christmas All right so just my gut reaction from hearing you say that if you keep that second line of Datsuk Larkin and Polkanen together, and assuming the first line of Ablocator, Nyquist, and Zetterberg stays together, we're going Athanasiu, Nyquist, and who on that third line? Isn't Nyquist on the top line? Oh, excuse me. Tatar. Tatar. I apologize. I apologize. I'm really embarrassed that I said that. (laughs) Wow. So who's Um, who's? So if we're talking Tatar, Athanasiu, who's the third guy on that line? Obviously, we don't want Drew Miller there. I guess you have to ask for Thomas Yurko, huh? Thomas yeah. Yurko? Who? Who's that? Who? Who's that well, guy? Sh- well, shit. Since we already blew our cuss words here, I'm just going to jump. I'm going to pass number three on my outline and just jump to number four, the curious case of Thomas Yurko. Did he sleep with Blaschel's wife? Did he forget to pick up, pick uh, up his dry cleaning? Did he kick his dog? <laughs> like, what the hell? How come this guy can't get in the lineup? He's got to – like, if he was hurt, I would be like, okay, he's hurt. He's having back issues. He's not recovered from that. He had those thing. It, he had shit going on last year. But but the diggers aren't going to dig. So so what the hell, Thomas Yurko? What the hell? I mean, I'm still inclined to think that it's ninety percent injury related. But I also can't think of a reason why they wouldn't just tell us that. Is it a groin? Do you think it's a groin, and they're afraid of all the backlash from a groin injury? I want to no, just pretend I, that that's it, no, so no. I feel better. 
that he just sucks and they're benching everyone i think everyone would just laugh if it were a groin injury i don't think we've had one reported groin injury this entire year and i'd like to think that that's all of our doing (laughs) maybe yeah (laughs) yeah our constant complaining led to stronger groins in detroit or it just led to them saying lower body injury or reporting it as like a calf injury or something. Or it's their thigh. I don't know. Yeah. Lower Ken body. Because I thought that uh, Ferraro might have uh, might have been a groin, but Kenlet slipped that it was his knee. But, I don't but, know. I regardless don't know. of injuries, let's circle back. Yurko. Why, again, someone I, – I don't know if we even have the answer. Why can't he get in the lineup? You're telling me Anderson's better than him? Everybody, whether it's the eye test or the possession, fancy and analytic stats, Yurko's better than Anderson on multiple levels. Am I wrong? Yeah, that's what's really troubling me is that it does not make sense that the right, if it were injury-related that – because all Blashill has said about it was uh, we've got a long-term plan for Thomas Yurko. We've got to get him to where his skating needs to be. Um, and then – he got in a few games, and like he played his worst game of the season, the very last game that he played. So it just doesn't make sense if, if he were being held back by injury that they wouldn't just say the guy's battling an injury and we're waiting. Um, but the right. alternate implication that there's like an attitude thing there or where he's just not skating hard enough is, uh, I don't know, a little terrifying considering he just basically got out from under Babcock's thumb. He's going to a, co- a player's coach that he already knows and is familiar with, and who we all understood um, Yurko really liked. So if there isn't that, like, I don't know what the hell there is to do about it um, other than, I mean, you got to break him of it. You know, and Like, we never found out why <clears throat> Tatar was sitting under Babcock. I remember when he was, that one interview where Babcock was essentially, somebody asked him, like, why isn't Tatar playing if you guys need scoring? And he's like, that's a good damn question. And he just didn't answer it beyond that. Like, it made it seem like he and no was one waiting followed for, up is the best part. Yeah, it made it seem like he was waiting for Tatar to come around to buying in, and then basically Tatar did and never looked back. So, I mean, if that's the moment we're waiting for with Yurko, then great. Um, let's get it sooner rather than later. You know, and, and I'm summarizing, paraphrasing here, but we've had our people within the organization tell us that earlier in the season, and this was much earlier, probably like a month or so ago, that they were sending a little bit of a message, like we needed Yurko to work harder. He needs to be better. You know, whether there were no specifics about what he needed to be better at, but Yurko needed to be better. But at this point, it, it concerns me that he, if it's a message to s- sending to him that he needs to get better, that, hey, he's not getting better, I don't even know what B is, but the fact that he's he's not in the lineup, it's just it's concerning. Like, what, if they're trying to send him a message, like, how long do you need to send him this message before you give him a chance to answer the message? Especially with the injuries you have for our out. Anderson sucks. You've called up AA. Like, what has to happen? Does everybody have to get freaking hurt before Yurko gets a chance in the lineup? And, and if Yurko does get a chance in the lineup, Again, we're just going back to last year where Yurko's on the fourth line, and is that even good for him? Or is the fourth line at this point better than nothing, especially with the, the fourth line getting a lot of minutes? I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, it's just uh, – I mean, that, that's the thing. We don't know. Like, we haven't heard anything about it lately. Like, Yurko does not exist right now. And it's actually kind of eerie how that's all, like, gone down. Um and it's actually kind of concerning. I mean, it's more concerning than we're, uh, you know, I, I think that we're really leading it up to be. It's like we haven't heard a damn thing about Thomas Yurko. Um, so I, it, it leads me to believe that, yeah, maybe 
maybe there is a little bit of a um, maybe he's maybe there is an injury there. Maybe there's something nagging him. I don't know because um, it's not like we're dealing with like a Dan Cleary here, right? Um, it's a kid with some skill. He's got skill. He's got upside. So and, I don't know. It's just and you know what? I'm I hope Anzar's listening and Savage is listening and Ted with the lowercase T and a capital E D and Krupa. <laughs> And Helen St. James, and I don't even know who else I'm forgetting, but I hope you're all listening to this podcast because you want to do your jobs better and we're better than you at your jobs and your whole Bill Roos is holding us out of the press box because he's afraid of us. I hope you're all listening and I hope that maybe you get inspiration to ask Blashill about Yurko and you try to actually dig and find a goddamn story. Gosh damn story. Sorry. <laughs> and find out why Yurko isn't playing. Because you know what? You're afraid to ask and you don't want to ruffle people's feathers or rock the freaking boat. But you know what? There's some fans out there that want to know why this kid's not playing. And give us an answer. Whether we like it or not, we don't care what the answer is. We would just like an answer why the kid's not playing. So I hope one of you guys is listening and I hope uh, we don't have our panties in our bunch. Or uh, maybe that's directed – I'm doing air quotes right now to Savage – uh, maybe you come back at the M Live commentators, uh, <laughs> but but maybe you actually do your jobs and you ask the hard questions instead of just the stamp sealed delivered mail it in whatever freaking Ken Holland wants you to report you report because you just don't rock the boat which I understand your beat writers Anzar actually I'll give Anzar con credit because he did respond to Petrello way back in the day when he did that whole digger exposition thing. At least he responded. But just someone to answer the quick freaking question. And Duff, I don't count you because you write for Hockey Buzz. So, um, in fairness, I've got to give Brendan Savage credit for uh, being as patient with the M Live commenters as he is, even though he likes to, to complain at True. Them. And I should be it's fair. M Live commenters are generally dumb. They give everybody some context. I find them really the, dumb. And but we're just a bunch of bros, so what the hell do we know? That's true. Right. We're all 20 something year old bros. Um, to give everybody if some you are listening about, uh, to this. Again, to give everybody the con- context about the Penny and the Bunch thing, uh, one of the writers at MLive commented at one of the uh, commenters about it, stating that, I believe it was Khan. Um, it was a Savage. It was a Savage? savage? Ah. I thought it was Khan, but anyway, yeah, it was it, whatever. Anyways, not something that a journalist should probably say, but yeah. whatever. But Just I'll, to give context. But I'll it. give them the benefit of the doubt because MLive commentators are so dumb that I'd probably like lose my shit and probably want okay. to say something like that to them as well. Okay, I want you all to help me something. Help me understand something with Yuriko because I constantly see this uh, among Red Wings fans, and I can't wrap my head around it. I, I went on a little Twitter rant earlier today, and, and Twitter was not helpful in helping me understand it. So now it's your it's job, too. really dumb. Um... Trading Yurko for his own good. We see a lot of that. Oh, if you're not gonna play him, you gotta trade him now. Nope. Um what's the logic I, there? Like I don't I don't understand that. Here's, no here's, I don't I, think there's necessarily any logic to it. They just it's, are thinking of the trope of needing a chain of scenery change of scenery. I'm jumping in and I don't care. It's not Barry Sanders who's near and thirty years old and hasn't won a championship because the organization is stupid and you should trade him for his own good. Like as JJ, I saw you on Twitter mention Ray Boric, where Bruins fans were happy that he won a cup with the stupid Colorado Avalanche and they retired his number because they're assholes and yeah, idiots. Idiots. 
it, it, we're not at that point yet. He's an asset. You hold on to him, and hopefully they use him correctly. You don't trade him yet. It, that's stupid. It's not like he's an old guy and this team is going nowhere. Like if if we're the Phoenix Coyotes and you're going absolutely nowhere, and you're like, all right, we're gonna trade Shane Doan to the freaking Montreal Canadiens because they're the top team in the East right now and they have a chance at Stanley Cup, and we want him to be happy. And he's from Canada, so apparently he must like the Canadians or something, right? Yeah, but Shane Doan is old. Whatever. Like Thomas Jericho is twenty two years old. Right. So you don't do it. I said this That's last stupid. year. I said this last year. We said this. We said this last year with um the uh with, with when we everybody was rumbling about trading Jimmy Howard because Peter Mrazek is good and you can't have two good goalies. You have to have only one. Um uh, according according to uh uh um simpletons. Um Thomas Yurko's keep value is so much higher than his trade value. I mean, what are you going to get out of the guy? You're going to get a, a third round pick, fourth round pick. It's not really worth it right now. Like, if the Red Wings went out tomorrow and traded Thomas Yurko for even a second round pick, I would be upset. Like, that wouldn't be something that I would be excited about. Um, uh, might take a second round pick. <laughs> I mean, that's just. I mean, that's just me. I mean. I don't know. Giving what he could be, I don't know. Yeah, and a so, second round pick doesn't help us win games this season. Yeah, no, but your coach at the moment's not helping us win games. Just like you could, you could advocate. take a tra- you could take a second round pick right now and be happy about it. But cool, you just traded away a twenty two year old player who you are able to control the cost of his contract um, while he still develops his game. I mean, he can be. He's not going to be a fifty goal scorer, but I mean. Okay. Is it, I don't know, whatever. So you haven't helped me understand it any, but you've at least helped me feel that I am right, which I honestly don't need you guys for, for that, but it, it's nice. Last question on the topic. Uh, so am I an asshole for thinking if Yurko gets traded, I want him to fail? You're always no. an asshole. <laughs> well, yes. He's <laughs> always an asshole. But if any Red Wing ever gets traded, we always want them to fail no matter what because fuck them because they're not on our team anymore. Seriously, I feel like if we get to the uh, the point where it's like, I want the guy traded and I, I honestly wish him well, like we are that loser laughing stoke, laughing stock joke it, it's, of an organization. It's different. And I don't want to be that. If, if, if the Red Wings never won a Stanley Cup and we traded Nick Lidstrom to a contender to win a cup, then you're okay with it, being happy that he won somewhere and raised it and and hit hockey's ultimate pinnacle goal, everything, the championship, yeah. Stanley Cup. You're go, he's 22 years old. You want him to fail, and you want that second-round pick that you get from him or the third-round pick that you get from him to succeed more so than he did. It's 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 completely different. A, a Ray Boric Bruins avalanche situation is completely different from the Red Wings ever trading Thomas Yurko. All right, right on. Thanks. Oh. Whatever. Who cares? You're welcome. <laughs> and because so, I brought up Ray Boric, there's the Bruins and the week that was. Normally we recap the week. I mean, we just went through Red Wing Senators. I'm just really briefly, is there anything that you took away from the back-to-back losses to San Jose and Boston that you think we should touch on that's relevant? If it's not, then who cares, and we'll just move the frick on. Uh, I think two the, of the Boston goals that got scored against us were after uncalled penalties, and that pisses me off. Yeah. Though I can't say we deserve to win the game, so fuck it, whatever. I think the uh, Sharks game was awesome, and it shows that the Red Wings are very much a team with a lot of gas in their tank, and they, you know, everybody wants to write them off, but they're trending in the right way right now, so whatever. Everybody keep making fun of them, so whatever. I, yeah, screw them. 
I think the schedule makers can take the business end of a yeah. Shea Weber slap shot with oh, for sure. all the back-to-backs we've gotten so far this season. And so many more to go, too. More back-to-backs, more fun. You know, <laughs> no, philosophy. More fun. I like having a day in between games. It makes me feel comfortable because, I don't know. I mean, my I like ultimate takeaway is the Red Sox made a trade during the San Jose game, so I didn't watch the, get to watch the second half of it. So thank you very much, Dave Dombrowski, you a-hole, for one, not bringing the Tigers to the World Series championship and B, doing that, so I couldn't watch the Red Wings game. And B, <laughs> I'm really glad that I didn't take the day off to go to the Garden to watch the Red Wings and the Bruins because the last two times I've done that, they've gotten their motherfucking asses kicked. Yes, I said motherfucking because we already got the explicit rant <laughs> that I heard earlier, so I don't care. So... Suck a dick. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, you know, you know what? We're just I'm, going for broke now. I'm, I'm going. I'm going on a tangent here because I, I mentioned earlier my distaste for the the Fox Sports Detroit intermission pregame and how it's hit pales in comparison to Nesson's product for the Bruins. Which again, eventually I hope to write a blog post if I have the time. And I, I'm not so much lazy. And I ha- again, I have the time. Uh, I the older I get. And the more I watch Red Wings hockey, the less I like Ken Daniels and the more I like Jack Edwards. And that's really bad. And I'm losing my mind over it. I like but, Jack Edwards. Yeah. I, I like Jack Daniels. Jack Edwards. I too. love Jack Daniels. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I just, this is just a complete sidebar and I'm not going to go in depth in here, but it's just Jack Edwards loves the game and he's a really, really good person. And I've met him and I've talked to him and I like him. And I've, from everything I've ever heard about Ken Daniels and, and the people who have worked with them that I know he's kind of a dick to work with and hard to deal with so I just can respect Jack a little more so I just wanted to say that and I probably shouldn't so hopefully whatever I don't give a shit uh let's just go on the record real quick saying that this is Jeff saying all this this is Jeff saying all this Jeff Jeff too late people have already already I'm Jeff not anybody else employee of New England Sports Network Nesson producer extraordinaire champion what's the next top the 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 champion I'm a champion of the World Series because I have a ring. But the champion of the AHL is the Griffins a few years ago. And a current Griffin who (laughs) is on the blue line is named Xavier Olette. Now, he just got a contract extension of one year at a reported by General Fanager, not the Diggers because, like, they would fucking have any information because they suck. One year extension at a 7, 715000 cap hit, $680,000 salary, $35,000 bonus at, at the time of the signing. Uh, your thoughts on XO getting a little extension there? Because he's on a waiver expect- exemption after this year, right? Yeah, he would he would he it, it doesn't make a difference. He'd be he'd be waiver eligible next year anyways. He's um, not isn't he not waiver eligible next year? No, no, no he, he earns his waiver next eligibility next year. Yeah, he's waiver exempt now, but next year he would be waiver eligible. Um, right. So, so yes. it, it doesn't matter. He so, to clear waivers. So basically, to clear everything up, uh, they signed him to a one-way, one-way deal. Uh, everybody was thinking, oh, that means he's going to be in Detroit no matter what. No, that doesn't necessarily mean that. I mean, a one-way, one-way deal essentially means he's getting paid the same amount of money in the Whether NHL. Whether he's in the NHL. Right, he'll get paid the same amount of money. He still has to go on waivers either way. If they want to clear him, uh, which he is a player that would absolutely uh, probably end up getting uh, claimed, so they have no choice. They have to keep him up, and there are other ones that they have to come that they have to uh, make decisions on too. I think Marchenko is one of them. Well, yeah, he, yeah he is. He yeah, clearly so. is going to be on the team next year. Uh, He's on the, the team now. RFAs are DeKaiser, Marchenko, Sproul, and Lashoff. 
Oh, <laughs> uh, I, for, I always forget about DeKaiser. God, I always forget about it because that's like he is—he's due for like a you know like he should have gotten that seven-year deal that Ablocator got in in in, in retrospect. But whatever. yeah, but still Ablocator, might. he brings still that might, physical right. presence. And if they, if you know the what, if they captain. Find- we if should talk signed, about that. If they signed a Kaiser to a seven-year deal at the, sa- at the same exact terms as Abdulkader, I'd be completely cool with it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not even close. That'd be a steal. Yeah, the Wula yeah. deal was just a little bit of, let's just get this shit taken care of. Um, like, get out of the way. You've got to, yeah, we were gonna we were going to re-sign him one way or another. Now it's just one less thing to worry about come, come time to make it all happen. Got him at a great cap hit. Um because they're gonna, they're probably gonna need that. Um, basically, you're trading. You're gonna get another RFA deal out of him after that one is over. But now you've given him arbitration rights, which gives him like just the slightest bit of leverage in contract negotiations. But it's not gonna matter unless Woulette is amazing uh, enough to get the an offer sheet that. He's not. I mean, they don't come anymore unless he like does something truly amazing. He's just gonna get. He's gonna get a chance to earn another RFA deal that is better for him and is still going to be cheap for us. So I think I think it's a great signing. Just kicks the can down the road a little bit, but it's it's not that big a deal. I, I kind of don't want Hulet tied up all that long. We've got to make decisions with all these guys we've got in the first place anyway. It's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out, um, what 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 moves they need to make, because Martenko and Hulet are guys that are going to get claimed on waivers if they send them down. So something's got to be, I don't know, like we could sit here and roster bait over it for a while, but... I love um, masturbation. Someone, you know, obviously Quincy, no, not coming back, can't, doesn't make any sense. Um they would they would have to move somebody right like somebody else would have to be moved or well, am I, he's he's we've essentially been seeing that for years he he's essentially a replacement right. for Quincy and then again Kindle or Smith is is the odd man out just based on contract status with one year left following this year yeah Woulette right. makes the sixth Red Wings defenseman to have a contract going into next season okay Green Cronwall Erickson Smith Kindle and Woulette all have uh contracts through next season so with the kaiser you would have seven defensemen there and with marchenko you have eight right so someone would something has to give there yeah i i want marchenko over kindle and smith Smith. so So, i mean but they already they already gave smith an extension so it's like you know i don't know well they can extend their foot up his ass for all i care well yeah yeah (laughs) i'll extend my foot up your ass hey now we're getting hostile. I'm saying my face. Smith, I, 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 I will. I mean, I'll see you <laughs> in Denver soon. You're in Kansas now. But uh, Smith is younger, so see you, see you, Kendall. Thanks for that goal against the, the Maple Leafs. But until then, fuck off. Uh, I just want to revisit it because it's such a polarizing topic. And I know everyone's favorite writer, Ryan Lambert, wrote about Abdulkader Steel being uh, the worst in hockey uh, and last time you guys recorded the podcast and I wasn't here, the news kind of broke that he was about to sign the deal during the podcast. And while you may not have thought it was great news, I actually thought it was compelling podcast radio, and I thought it was the best part of the podcast. Now that the deal's done, we I, you gave us your initial thoughts and everybody hated it. Now that the deal's done, I'm sure everybody hates it still, but, but I just think we should revisit it. And I want to start with Kyle because I feel like out of everybody, you're going to hate it the most. Are we talking about the advocate? I'm sorry. Do, advocator. Talking- yes, yes, okay. yes advocator. So if you listen to last week's podcast, um, it went from, you know, a lot of fun to just not fun at all because it was, that the was news, the best part. I will the say news all broke, of you guys the news really broke, sad and giving your honest truth, literally, opinions was fantastic. Yeah, it broke literally in the middle of our, our podcast and it was just like, 
the wind came out of our sails and it was just dreary. And anyways, um, I, I see. I disagree. The wind didn't come out of your sails. Your sails, like the wind, like picked up and your sails blew. And you guys were like actually had opinions and shit and were angry. And I was I I, I was captivated by right, your right, right. talk last week. Well, anyways, um, I want to recapture that moment. The it, here's the thing about the applicator deal. The term, like I should say, the money that we're paying for him, I'm fine with. The term, the seven year deal is asinine it's too much uh there's no way to even really make it seem good um but i mean advocator played really well tonight um and i think you know it makes it easier to digest but still even after playing a great game you know and and performing well um it just it's still like seven years he's going to be 29 in february it's just you know he's essentially the same age as darren helm so it's it's kind of unsettling to me. And, and, and the comments that came from Kent Holland about it is just, well, you know, it, it, he made it seem like he didn't really know if seven years was a good idea or not. And he just said, well, we'll deal with it later. And it's just like, what? What do you, what? I don't know. That was what really rubbed me wrong with it. Okay, but counterpoint, by the time we hit that sixth and seventh year, the cap is so far up that it doesn't even matter and this doesn't really derail the team's progress because the cap is going up. So right. you're not going to have a problem re-signing the guys you need to sign. Franzen goes to long-term IR because he's prongered for the rest of his career. And Datsuk's retired by then, so it's not like you're worrying about his yeah, $7 million but, cap hit. But you and, don't know. and really, in the grand scheme of things, if the cap is, I don't know what we're at right now, but if the cap's like $90 million or $85 million, 4.25 isn't really that much. Yeah, but you're paying 4.25 for a guy who is on the wrong side of his career. Like, and it's just, you know, it, it, it's exactly like, it's not like with, I mean, and if you think about it, now you look at Franzen's contract and it's like, at the time it's like, wow, that's a huge contract, but his cap hit is like, okay, it's, really, it's not that big of a deal, right. whatever. Um, but it's just the thought of it. And seven years is a long time. We don't know where the Red Wings are going to be in seven years. So in seven years, if the Red Wings are in a rebuild phase, that kind of sucks. But but even if whether they're contending or they're in a rebuild phase, does the $4.2 million cap hit? And again, I don't like the deal. I will preface this with that. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Does that $4.2 million cap hit? actually deter them from re-signing a Larkin, re-signing a Mantha or Svechnikov if someone hits it big, a Nyquist, a Tatar. You're not really going to be at risk of losing some of your better guys because of this contract. No, no, you're right. I mean, they're going to, you know, obviously, I think they're going to do with... It doesn't it. They're going to do with Larkin and uh, Mantha and everybody. Like, you know, they're going to play the bridge deal game, you know, basically, and they're going to get good value out of their out of their careers. Um and and that you're right in that, but it's just in I a feel vacuum. like you get seven years into Justin Abdicator's career, and you're rebuilding. Then 36 year old Justin Abdicator is exactly the kind of guy you want to have on a rebuilding roster. Yeah, because he's know. that veteran presence, good in the room guy who can teach the young kids what it takes to to win. Um, honestly, look at it. It's it's a range of possibilities with Abdelkader's deal. Right now, it is not a shitty deal because right now there's a good argument that Justin Abdelkader is worth $4.25 million. I'm confident that within the next seven years, this deal is going to go from I'm trusting that someday it's going to be bad to it's going to actually be bad. <clears throat> but we're not there yet. I don't know if it's going to take three years to get there. I don't know if it's going to take two years, four years, five years, six years, seven years, whatever. At that point, then I'm going to turn on the deal. 
Jeff makes a good point. The cap keeps going up, and then essentially on that whole slider of potential outcomes for this deal, um, it's not that bad for the cap. It is one of the more is probably one of the more uh, likely positive scenarios. Oh, it's just not that bad. It's not going to cost them that much. But those little mistakes do add up. I mean, basically, if you're a GM, you make a big like that is a disaster kind of mistake. You lose your job, really. Um, but yeah. there's a lot of GMs who make those like little tiny mistakes that make up the difference between a really good team that's got that piece that they really needed and one that can't find a way to fit it under the cap or doesn't have the assets to trade for it because there's just a few of those little mistakes that have added up and, and have, have taken shit away. Because, I mean, don't forget that they're going to have that the Weiss buyout on their cap hit for a while. And it's just that's just a little bit less space that they'll have. That It's not a disaster, but it's it's a problem. So I don't know. Like I said, it's, I think it's eventually going to be a bad deal. I don't well, think it's currently a bad deal. Now let's say that we hit five years from now and the wings are rebuilding and we missed the team has missed the playoffs and it's like, shit, the fuck is going on with this team? You're telling me that some contenders not going to want to take Abdulkader at 4.25, which probably in five years from now with the cap going up may be kind of a bargain for whatever he produces at that time. Oh, sure. As on a that. Stanley Cup run. And, and, you know, I mean, like someone traded a first round pick for freaking Milan Lucic. Someone's going to want Justin Abdulkader in five years, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, think I think the opposite is true, maybe. too. I think that you get five or six years down the line when Justin Abdulkader's um, salary drops to three and a half million or three million and his cap hit stays higher than a salary, then you've got the possibility that there are going to be teams that are looking to hit the salary floor uh, using that little floor loophole where they only have to pay him three and a half million dollars and his cap hit is going to be four and a half. Well, what counts towards the floor is the four and a half. So I, I think it is a doubly tradable deal, although I don't like the fact that he's got a limited no trade clause in, in those last years. Yeah, um, that that's a good point. I just think, I mean, what makes the deal so bad for me is that they gave it to him after one season of good stats. You know, because if you look at Advocator before last season, uh, if you if you take out his 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 what he did last season, I mean, what what he what did he do to deserve that at all? So that's why it makes it so bad, and that's why it's bad. That's why everybody thinks it's bad. So um, for now, I'm just going to forget about it and worry about it later. Like, I'm not going to sit here and stew about it anymore. It's a bad deal, Um, but it is what it is. It's not going to throw them over the, you know, the cap ceiling. So um, Ken Holland has done a really good job with managing that and, you know, whatever. It it is what it is. Now, Kyle, you, I'm pretty sure in your last sentence or your phrase there you said the word bad three times at least and and while we're on the topic of bad bad is how you we might describe the grand rapids griffins they have been bad under new head coach todd nelson and their horrible play and the badness of that team is going to be described by michelle i'm sure in our prospects report coming up right now Dark times continue for the Grand Rapids Griffins as they only managed to pick up a single win last week in their three games. Wednesday night against the Iowa Wild, they picked up a 5-2 win. Then Friday night against the Lake Erie Monsters, they fell 3-2 in the shootout. And then again against Lake Erie on Saturday, they lost 5-1. Through the first 11 games, they now have a record of 2-8-0-1 and only 5 points on the season. In their 5-2 win against the Wild, they weren't a dominant team throughout the entire game, but they did have spurts where they looked 
really good. They started to look a little bit more like the Griffins of old, and the offense finally broke through. They scored five goals in one game, and that's the first time that's happened this season. Jared Quirrell was in net for the Griffins' second win of the season, and he remains the only Griffins goalie to have any wins. He stopped 27 to 29 shots that he faced. I really thought after this game, with the offense coming through and the team starting to play better, that this was going to be what broke the dam. This was going to be the team's breakthrough, where things started clicking and coming together, and they were going to start winning some more games. I expected to see them come out Friday night against Lake Erie with energy to burn and just hitting the ground running and unfortunately it didn't work that way. The Griffins did get a boost to their lineup however on Friday night when Tyler Bertuzzi returned after serving a two-game suspension which because of the Griffins strange schedule actually worked out to be a two-week suspension. With Bertuzzi back in the lineup it immediately gave the team this energy and jump and it did make a noticeable impact on the ice. Unfortunately the Griffins played pretty much what I would call a streaky game in the 3-2 shootout loss. They had some stretches where they looked really good and they were dangerous in the offensive zone and they were getting shots off and then they would have lengthy stretches where they were hemmed in their own zone and they couldn't even clear the puck or get control of it to get it out and Lake Erie was just putting on a clinic and you're not going to win very many games when you have stretches when you're hemmed in your zone that badly. Jared Coral got his second start in a row on Friday night and he performed admirably. The loss definitely wasn't on him. He only allowed two goals in regulation and then one goal in the shootout. Unfortunately the Griffins didn't score a single goal in the shootout so you can't really put that on the goalie. Tom McCullum got the start in it on Saturday against Lake Erie and I had hoped that after Friday night maybe the Griffins just needed to get their legs under them again and they would come out hard and make Lake Erie pay for that loss and unfortunately what I saw was a lot of lackluster play they just they looked so meh and Lake Erie was on top of things Lake Erie had a 3-0 lead after the first and a 5-0 lead after the second. Tom McCullough made 25 saves on 30 shots, and he did make a couple pretty good saves, but overall his performance left much to be desired. Progressively throughout the game on Saturday night, it just felt like the Griffins became more and more discouraged, and watching them, it just felt like they were never going to score. I mean, they're 14% of the way into the season. They've played 11 out of 76 games, and they only have two wins. They have two wins and five points. That's it. They're still firing almost a league high shots per game at 33.64, but they have barely any goals to show for it. They've only scored 19 goals on the season and have allowed 38 goals against. Special teams. Their power play is 26th in the league at 12.2%. They have six power play goals on 49 power play chances. Their penalty kill is 24th in the league at 79.2%. They've allowed 10 power play goals against on 48 chances. So they're not scoring at even strength. Their special teams are terrible. And they also have the 10th most penalty minutes per game at 15.1. They've taken a total of 166 penalty minutes in 11 games. Just by comparison, last year they had an average of 11.4 penalty minutes per game, but that was 29th in the league. So they were almost at the bottom of the league in number of penalties that they were taking, and their special teams were much better, obviously. And this year they're taking slightly more penalties, but in comparison to the league, that's a whole lot higher than what the other teams are taking. I'm not going to put blame for the poor special teams on any specific player or players, but just looking at the general player usage, it's not that shocking maybe that our penalty kill has been garbage. The first unit has been recently Tomas Nosek, Louis-Marc Arbery, Nathan Pace, and Nick Jensen. That's a decent PK group, but the second unit has had Colin Campbell and Danny Cleary on it. I'm sorry, but when your second penalty killing unit is Colin Campbell and Danny Cleary, it's not really going to be shocking to me that your penalty kill isn't that great. Again, this comes back to my frustration with player usage because there are a 
whole lot of better options to put on the PK. I would have Mitch Callahan on the penalty kill. I'd have Andy Mealy on the penalty kill. I would have Tomasz Nozick on the PK. And you could put in Tyler Bertuzzi in there as well. The power play units last game, keeping in mind that Athens U is in Detroit. The first unit was Mitch Callahan, Andy Mealy, Anthony Mantha, Xavier Willett, and Ryan Spool. Not bad. The second unit's Martin Ferk, Mark Zengerly, Eric Tangrady, Nathan Pace, and Robbie Russo. That entire second unit could be upgraded very easily. Tomasz Nozick wasn't even on the power play. That, to me, is completely ridiculous. If you had Martin Ferk, Tomasz Nozick, Tyler Bertuzzi, Nick Jensen, and Robbie Russo, that I could maybe understand. Meanwhile, Merrick Tverdin's still in Toledo. Zach Nastasiak was called up, but has been a healthy scratch so far. And as far as goalies go, Jared Coro and Tom McCollum have both played in six games, but I think that Coro has outplayed McCollum. Coro has two wins, two losses, and an overtime loss. McCollum has six losses. Coro has a .915 save percentage, and McCollum has a .887 save percentage. Coro has 2.71 goals against. McCollum has 3.55 goals against. And just watching them, Coro does a better job of giving his team a chance to win and making the saves that they need. He's not perfect by any means, but I think that just comparing the two goalies and their on-ice performances, I think Coro has outplayed McCollum, and I think that he should be getting more of the starts now as long as that trend continues. In looking through all of the garbage to try and find some bright spots, I keep coming back to the same handful of Red Wings prospects who, despite the team's results, are actually playing well and who I notice doing very good things during the games. As I mentioned earlier, Jared Coro has been playing very well, and in addition to the technical part of his game and performance being better, he's also leveling out as far as not getting too high nor too low, as Coach Jeff Blashill would say. Uh, His consistency is improving, and he said that one of the things he's improved upon this year noticeably is the ability to keep a game under control. So when you're winning, make sure you keep winning. He said in his first year when he came into the league, the team would be up, and, and he said he would find a way to lose the game. And so his confidence, I think, is probably at an all-time high. And Anthony Mantha continues to take a step forward. He continues in his growth with his confidence and consistency. Friday night in the shootout loss, he did something that I've been seeing him doing more and more, and I absolutely love it. He beat a Lake Erie monster to the puck just inside the monster zone, skated around the defender, and drove to the net. He didn't get a high-quality shot off, but he did get the puck to the net. And that was something that I'm seeing him do more and more. And he did get a goal Friday night as well. Uh, it was a it was a power play point shot that made its way through. In 11 games, he's fourth on the team in scoring with four points. He has two goals, two assists. He only has four penalty minutes, which is fantastic to see, because that was one thing when he first came into the league. Uh, he was taking a lot of penalties, and a lot of them were Uh, because he wasn't keeping his feet moving. And so the reduction in penalty minutes is great to see. And he's taken a team-leading 33 shots on goal. So even though the goals haven't started flowing for him, he's taking shots, he's being more disciplined and not taking penalties, he's keeping his feet moving, he's staying engaged and more consistent. And with his increased confidence and being more comfortable in the league, you can tell that he's starting to take the reins more. Whereas last year, you would see him, it was like he needed somebody else on his line to be driving play to get him engaged and get him going. And especially Especially with Athanasiu being in Detroit and the reduced skill of the Griffins team, he is now taking the reins more and being the person who is driving play and is driving chances on his line, which is amazing to see because this kid has so much talent and skill that when he's fully able to utilize it, I think it's going to be something really incredible to watch. Tyler Bertuzzi made his return to the lineup Friday and Saturday, and as I mentioned earlier, he brought a jolt of energy to his team. And then on the back end, Xavier Willett and Nick Jensen continue to be the rocks that anchor that defense. Even strength, power play, penalty kill, those two guys are your go-to guys. Willette has three points so far, and Jensen has two. And for a team whose points leader has seven points, 
to have two of your defensemen contributing and chipping in a little bit of offense as well as being your rock solid guys on defense that's pretty good and Xavier Willette also has the second most shots on goal after Anthony Mantha so he's definitely trying to do his part to contribute any offense Ryan Sproul has six points which is second best on the team he has one goal and five assists but again when I watch him play there isn't anything that's changed my mind from uh, my expectations of him last year which is that he could be an NHL defenseman it's probably not going to be on the wings and he's always going to be that guy that's going to need to be sheltered and is going to be relied on more for some offense than his defense. The Griffins have three games this upcoming week. Wednesday night at home against the Ice Hogs, Friday night at home against the Gulls, and then Saturday against the Chicago Wolves on the road. The Toledo Walleye played three games against the Manchester Monarchs last week, suffering a 5-4 loss in the first game, getting a 6-2 win in the second, and suffering a 4-3 shootout loss in the third game. Jake Patterson played in one of the three games, stopping 36 of 38 shots in the Walleye's 6-2 win. In those three games, Merrick Tverden had five assists, four penalty minutes, and 13 shots on goal. He's currently fourth in scoring on the team with nine points in 10 games, just two points off of team leader Shane Birschbach, who has 11 points in 12 games. The Walleye currently have a 5-5-0-2 record and 12 points in 12 games, which puts them in 10th place in the conference out of 14 teams, and they're only two points ahead of the Green. Swamp Rabbits who have 10 points and sit bottom of the conference. So they're also struggling a little bit this year and aren't currently in a playoff spot. Elsewhere in Prospects News, last week in two games, Vili Jarvi scored his fourth goal of the season. It was a power play goal and all his goals now have come on the power play. He has 18 points in 19 games. He's fifth in OHL defenseman points, second on his team in points, leads his team in power play goals, and is first in plus minus. The Firebirds are struggling to come up with wins this season. In 19 games, they have an 8-9-1-1 record with 18 points, and they're eighth out of 10 teams in the Western Conference. One of the most complete games that I've seen the team play came a week ago Sunday, and unfortunately that victory was tainted by the drama that went on with the team, the coaching staff, and the owners right afterwards. I don't know what the implications are going to be on the team's performance after all of that drama and debacle, but I have to imagine that's going to affect them in some way. It'd be pretty hard not to. A couple weeks ago when I talked to Vili Sarajari after a game, one of the things he told me the coaching staff keeps preaching to the players is that they need to play a full 60 minutes. Now it's kind of a cliche and we hear it a lot in hockey, but it is also one of the weaknesses I've seen from the team. It's just inconsistency, where they play one or two really good periods, but not three, and then that would really hurt them. So the fact that we actually saw a complete game from them was really encouraging, and I hope that all of the internal drama and goings-on doesn't harm the team in terms of their ability to come together and win some games. In the Western Hockey League, Joe Hicketts played in both of the WHL's games versus Russia in the Super Series. He had two assists in the first game and it was a plus three. In the second game, he was a minus one and had no points. The team WHL did beat Russia in both games. Back with the Royals, he had one assist in two regular season games. There are two things that stick out to me in watching him play. The first is that because of his size, a lot of the other teams try to key in on him. They try and be extra physical with him or try to see if they can extract a weakness. But what also strikes me about that is that it never works. He's a small guy, but he's still very physical. He's good at clearing bigger players out of the crease. He will put a shoulder into a bigger player to knock him off the puck. He'll hit him. He can also take a hit, even from much bigger players, and bounce back without any issues. And he just gets back up and keeps doing his thing. I don't know if the other teams are eventually going to give up trying to key in on him, but he's clearly not a weakness at all. The other thing that strikes me as I watch is that I feel like he never leaves the ice. I will watch him on a five-on-three penalty kill, and then as soon as that expires, it might be 30 seconds later, he's out there on a five-on-three power play. It feels like he never leaves the ice. Hicketts is currently second on his team in points with 22 in 22 games. 
He has one goal and 21 assists. He's also sixth in Western Hockey League assists and third among defensemen in the Western Hockey League in points. Center Dominic Turgeon had a goal and two assists in three games. He now has 20 points in 19 games. He's first on his team in goals and points, power play goals, and shorthanded goals. He has four power play goals and one shorthanded goal on the season. While he isn't offensive enough to be tops of the league in points, it's still been really cool to see his growth and development even just so far this season because the biggest thing that he and the Red Wings wanted him to work on this season was increasing his offense. Currently, he's at 20 points in 19 games. Last season, he had 43 points in 67 games, and that was his career best. He also had 18 goals in those 67 games, and this year he's already at 10 goals in 19 games. So he's on pace to break all of his previous offensive numbers for a season. With this being his final year in the WHL, it's certainly expected that he should be increasing his offense, but it's still cool to see him fulfilling that, and it's really great to see him being rewarded on the stat sheet with the points that he deserves because his play is fantastic. In the USHL, Chase Pearson had two assists in three games last last week. He's currently 20th in the league in points, but he's only 7 points away from the league leader, and he's 3rd on his team in points. In the BCHL, goalie Chase Perry played 2 games last week. He had 1 win and 1 loss, stopping a total of 38 of 42 shots in both those games. He now has a .902 save percentage on the season and a 2.29 goals against average. In college hockey, defenseman James DeHaas only played 1 game last week. Unfortunately, it was a 4-1 loss in which he was a minus 2 but had 3 shots on goal. Mike McKee picked up his 2nd assist and 3rd point of the season in 2 games last week, and had a total of 6 penalty minutes and two shots. Over in Europe, Christopher N didn't have any points in the two games that he played, but he is playing some very good hockey and he's getting some opportunities to try and take a step forward in his development. When former Red Wings prospect Matthias Janmark unexpectedly left Europe to come over and play in Dallas this year, it left an opening that Forlunda is currently trying to fill. Even though Forlunda is one of the top teams in the league, they're still working on different line combinations looking to fill the spot that Janmark left. The last few games N has played, he's had the opportunity to move up and play third line center and reports are that he's been playing well. It's kind of fitting if you think about it that a former Wings prospect leaving for Lunda would open up an opportunity for a current Red Wings prospect to take a step forward. But Roger Ronberg, who's the coach of Lunda, is the former national junior team coach and so he's used to working with a lot of the kids and one of the reasons Lunda's having such a great season is that they're rotating these young players into the system and they're actually giving them a chance. He's not afraid to play young kids in big situations, even though they may not have as much experience. It's a great opportunity for both the team and for the youngsters who are coming up. And for the Red Wings, that includes Christopher N. Last week was a big week for Axel Holmstrom. As I talked about before, he hadn't yet scored a goal on the season. He had eight assists, but no goals. That finally changed last Thursday when he had a goal and an assist in a 3-2 overtime win. What was even more fun than seeing the goal and knowing that he finally got it, was getting to follow the aftermath and getting another glimpse into the personality of Axel Holmstrom. It had been a very frustrating thing for him not to score any goals. And on Halloween, he tweeted out, Is there anyone that's seen my goal scoring? Please let me know. It was last seen April of 2015. So right after he scored his goal, he tweeted, The search has ended. My goal scoring was recovered in Tempere, Finland. Nice. After the game, there was also an interview that had some very interesting quotes in it. One of the things that he said uh, was that this was the longest dry spell he'd ever been through and he didn't want to go through it again. The interviewer asked him if the pressure had been too much. And Holmstrom said he came in wrong in the league, meaning he started slowly or on the wrong foot. He said, then I lost confidence, but I've had great support from the coaches who always believed in me and played me in key positions. When asked about his tweet on Halloween, he said, I didn't want to bury myself deeper than I already was and I tried to work it out with a bit of humor. I love that he turned to humor to help himself deal with 
the goal scoring slump, even though it was really difficult and the pressure was on, especially after setting records in the playoffs last season. But he never lost his sense of humor about it, and it definitely sounds like his coaches kind of helped him through it. So it was really great to finally see him score his first goal. And if you missed it, there's a post up on it about Wim that you can go and check out the video. And that's what's going on in the world of Red Wings prospects. Thank you, Michelle, for the wonderful prospects report. I'm getting right to it, JJ. Reader questions. Let's hit this shit. Let's do it. All right. Uh, Holmes from 96. How long do we have to donate to Kyle's Movember cause, Kyle? Uh, November. All of November. Uh, I should let him answer that. Yeah, that's not true. Um, I believe it will go into December as well. Early early December. It's not It's um, not Mo-cember. It's November. It doesn't matter. We are raising money for cancer, so I don't what, care if it goes all the way to next. What kind of cancer? Tell me about it, Dr. McElmurray. Okay. Um, November essentially is raising money for cancer awareness, m- mainly men's cancer awareness, uh, prostate cancer, um, right. you know, testicular cancer, and, and and, it, and as well as poor mental health and everything, um, it really covers many bases uh, it, for a very silent killer for a lot of uh, men around the world. Um, it, it's just for the cause. Cancer sucks. It affects a lot of people. It's affected me. It's affected a lot of you, I assume. Um, if it hasn't, then I hope it never does. It's a terrible thing. And um, it's just... It, I'm growing a terrible mustache, which actually it's really great. You say it terrible, looks, I say great. It looks actually pretty good right now. Um, no, it doesn't. <laughs> go bowling. So far, right now, as we stand, uh, November 16th, I've raised $579. Everyone listening to the podcast with children, watch out for Kyle with this creepy white man no, with no windows no. at the park. I just look like a I just look like a super trooper. But $579 out of a thousand, which is my target. If I do hit my goal um, at any point of it being open i will post a ridiculous uh cheesy pop song uh karaoke on the internet for everybody to laugh at with my mustache um and uh everybody can laugh at me because it's for the greater good and well, i uh, laugh at, i laugh you get to anyway. the song? no yeah i will we will if we get the goal then i will make a post um on winging it and uh we will we will do a crowdsourcing for what song i should do and uh we'll make sure it's as ridiculous as possible i'll vote for my all-time favorite band eve six yeah hopefully it's more fun than that but um (laughs) yeah go or shake it off we need you to do a duet with luke lindenny maybe (laughs) i don't know maybe um but yeah 579 dollars so far is amazing i'm completely satisfied with that so far but um it's still we're mid-november so why stop there? Keep, um, keep donating, people. Keep donating. For a good cause. Even a dollar is it goes a long way. Um, so thank you let's to everybody humi- who's. Let's humiliate Kyle together. Please, I I <laughs> welcome it. Please. So thank you for right. asking. By the way, that's that's a great question. All right, next. Yeah, right on. thanks, Holmes, for ninety six. All right, there's a bunch that already got answered in here, so I'm going to jump down to the possible Tyson Berry trade. Apparently, uh, Colorado mm-hmm. has been. Uh, shit, and they're talking about just trading everybody. Tyson Berry is a young puck moving defenseman, which is something uh, we could use, I guess. Well, uh, Joe, what do you think? Uh, my impressions of Tyson Berry are not very good. Uh, I'm not that particularly high on him, but I'm also very limited in my sample of seeing him. He does play for Colorado on their garbage, so that doesn't. My happen. initial thought is no way it happens because it's Colorado, and I feel I still feel like like Detroit and Colorado aren't going to trade. Uh, but if we do, send them Yurko and Brennan Smith. Let's call it a day. But the way I think about I like it, 
why the hell would they? Isn't he like their best defenseman? Like, uh, I mean, outside of Johnson, but it's just <laughs> that makes no sense to me. Yeah, like, most of the things they do doesn't make sense. Like retiring right, Ray Borg's number. Like, no, I don't think it's going to happen, but um, I would entertain it. It just depends on what they're going to pay for Tyson Berry. I mean, I don't know. If Colorado happens, would want a return that would be in line with essentially like the Eric Johnson trade, and I think they're nuts for, for trying to get that, so no. Let's just make sure it happens the day before the, the stadium series, which is the real winter classic, let's be honest. Easily. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't think so. Um, no. Uh, unless we are trading a defenseman that is on our roster currently, um, not named like Mike Green or uh, Danny Kaiser or I, I mean even Cronwall. I mean I don't know Cronwall. Like I don't know. Do I do I make that? No, ship? you don't. No, you don't make that ship. So next no, question. No, I, I I don't I don't think so. No. All right, Ben Bishop, um, not the goalie for the Lightning, <laughs> but our, but he's asking goalie questions. So I think he might actually be the Lightning goalie because he wants to know uh, which of our goalies we should trade. Really, neither. Yeah. Write him out. Why? The why trade? Okay. Thomas McCollum. Yes, McCollum. <laughs> we should yeah, trade for, McCollum. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, whatever. Michelle's yeah. goalie. Should we trade her? It keeps her? coming up. I still say, um, wait to see what's going on at the trade deadline. The Red Wings still have uh, 12 more sets of games back-to-back, and eight of them happened prior to the trade deadline, so I think we still need this goalie tandem uh, playing pretty much like it has all season. Um, yeah. So there's no need to trade them. You're gonna you're not going to make the team better. You're going to make them worse. You're going to uh, over-rely on one goalie during the regular season, which I am increasingly starting to think just stop taking the regular season that so seriously and uh just get in baby yeah just get in yeah, get on on the ride let's go get in rested really that's what they need baby ah uh, jla 1991 why what does blashell see in anderson he is basically just a body brings nothing anderson has dirty pictures of his um anderson is one of those guys it's just like he's a one-dimensional player and in that dimension he's not that great um so i think if they come down to a roster crunch he should be like i said earlier um if it comes down to joachim anderson or and andreas athanasiu that's not even a question athanasiu gets that roster spot it's like done and done i would have i would have made that decision a week ago i would have made that decision at the beginning of the season but um, it, it's just those stupid intangibles that NHL teams love for some reason and they cannot get over. So, um, yeah, I, that's, that's my feeling is that he would be the next to go in the, uh, if there was a roster crunch, which there will the Red be. Wings are looking for the magic and trying to, uh, take like defensive centers and turn them into magical two way centers where nope. they used to take really good offensive centers and turn them into two way guys. Now they're trying to like, because it worked with, with Franz and Franz and, when he came up, there was not a thought that he was going to be good offensively or that he was going to move to the wing. And they kind of like hit pay dirt on that. And they've just been trying to like, they tried to recreate that magic with Corey Emerton and now it's Joachim Anderson. And oh, it's just Corey Emerton. <laughs> Corey Emerton. That's, I mean, that's what Anderson is. He is Corey Emerton part two. So just get rid of him. We don't need him. Right. Uh, Master Moj wants to know, how did Wim start? Can you give us a brief history lesson on how the community began? JJ, go I, ahead. I have no idea. I just I I answer this. Um, way back when SB Nation started off, like, it What's was her name? blogs, and they were... Christy. All right, Christy. hold on. I'm getting there, guys. Shut the hell up. <laughs> Casey. What? You want to tell this story? Virginia Tech. <laughs> <laughs> 
so way back when they were starting SB Nation, they're like, okay, we want to blog for every team, and they uh, <clears throat> they got Christy Hammond to start WIM, and so she started, and she was very much a let's do this, be a journalist about it. Um, she went on to eventually work for the Red Wings. She did um, community like relations and shit like that. Yeah, she was the community relations director. I don't think she works for them now. No, she's with, uh, I want to say she's with the Michigan um, Kids Foundation. But I don't know. Anyway, real great, fantastic person. She left Wim before I even really heard of it. Um, left Casey in charge. Casey ran it for a while. Um, he's a good dude. Yeah, he's a he's a real good guy. He brought me on. He brought Graham on. He brought Jeff on. Um, and then that was basically like when the the modern era of Wim started. Yeah, then uh, we Casey, forced him out and we had a coup. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Casey left, and uh, for some dumb reason, he left me in charge. Because I, I guess I wanted the job, and the site went all downhill from there. Yeah, and then I started hiring a bunch of assholes. And then I came along, and everything got good. Yeah, we, with them became twenty year old bros. <laughs> Hell yeah, yeah, game. bro. Yeah, basically all it ever was is I just wanted to to have an opportunity to to talk Red Wings hockey. I did that over at Kukla's Corner for a long time. Uh, Michael Petrella, formerly of uh, the production line, um, basically because I was I was all over the Red Wings blogosphere back then. It was kind of a golden age where there were a million blogs. Oh, and they were, were so all very active. And we it. all got along really well. And then, like, Petrello was like, because Casey was looking for writers, and Petrello was like, well, there's this long-winded jerk-off who keeps bothering us in our comment section. Why don't you hire him <laughs> to be a writer? Still a jerk-off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's what happened. It was basically a place for me to write my very long comments, and it just kind of grew from there. So it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate the question and all of you. Well, I and wish Christy, we could say the Christy same. That we now, actually appreciated you. Just to be correct, <laughs> Christy is now with the Make a Wish Foundation. She's Make the PR manager there. Yeah, she's kick-ass. She was good. She is doing a great thing. Uh, swear on a stack of hockey pucks. Do you see the Wings' struggles to rise above meter- mediocrity so far this season, resulting more from the X's and O's, or more of what's in their heads? In other words, is it physical or mental? Okay, wait, hold on. Give me that question again. Uh, basically, why haven't the Red Wings been better this season? Is because it, Glenn Denning played like 20 minutes a night is, for like is 10 the straight system, games. Is the plan bad, or is it something in their head where they're just not executing the plan like they should? Honestly, I'm copping out here, and I'm saying it's a combination of both, but go ahead, Kyle. I think it, it's just adjustments. Um, Blashill runs a, a very similar ship to what Babcock did, but there are distinct differences, and the differences that he does run take a little bit of you you know getting used to um especially with what we have um the defense uh, you know the way that he likes to uh activate the defense a lot more um and they like to be a little bit more aggressive um mike green came along at a great time for that because you know they're not re- they don't have uh, they don't have a great set of blue liners like you know it's not like when we had Lidstrom and, you know, he was just bailing. It was Lidstrom and, you know, five other dudes. Um, it, it, they are starting to trend. If you look at the underlying numbers, they're starting to trend in the right way now. They're starting to go upwards um, in a very promising fashion. So I think that it's just like Blashill has said in, in so many interviews before, you have to go with the process. It takes a little bit of time. <clears throat> a little bit of time. Sorry for the voice crack. Um, it's they just, you know, everybody wants to say, anybody, like, after the San Jose loss, everybody was very gloomy. It was just like, holy shit, we lost that game, blah, 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 this was terrible, this was awful, and I was like, I'm really satisfied with that loss, and it sucks to say that, but 
they dominated that game. And if you watch the entire game, there were so many instances of bad luck, but they just they dominated the game. And uh, in, even in the Boston game, with with the way that the calls went, like you know the missed calls on two of the Boston goals, um, and then you go to tonight where they they very well they played very aggressively against the Suns, and they you know while it took a little bit longer than it should have, they came out with the win. So I'm gonna go ahead and trust the uh, the process here, um, and. Uh, I don't know. I think I think it's it's good. Maybe it takes it. Maybe it takes a full season to do it, but I'm cool with it. So uh, I'm right. satisfied. Joe. Yeah, I think it's more. I think it's more X's and O's just because there are adjustments that have to be made, and so there is a mental side of it. But it's more X. It's it's definitely. I think it's definitely more X's and O's. Jeff. Uh, don't throw it to me. I totally zoned out looking at the road ahead. I agree. All right. With Kyle. Don't worry about it. I will just. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll add on to that. Um, yeah, I think that it, there is the adjustment to Blashill's system that they're still getting used to, and when they get in when they get in trouble, they kind of revert back to the old Babcockian system, which causes a little bit of uh, problems with, especially with them getting shots on net. I don't think that it's uh, it's like lack of motivation. All right? it's it constantly drives me nuts to see people oh they're lazy out there. Well, fuck you, you're not a professional hockey player. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. Um, I hockey, I played Division yeah. Three college. That counts, right? Yeah, the Nesson Hockey League here. Oh, that was there. Emerson. Um, and I think the other thing that, that keeps happening is they play a shitload of back-to-backs, and that always makes the team look bad. So um, I don't think they're a mediocre team. I think that they're a good team that is figuring it out. And also, um, they have been injured, too. So there's just a lot of moving pieces and parts that things True, aren't yeah. gelling. So they'll get through that. Uh, moving on, Arsizzle wants everybody to say something nice about the Applicator deal. I've already done that, so uh, I want Kyle to say something, Sunshine and Rainbows, about the Abbey deal. You want me to say something, Sunshine and Rainbows, about the Abbey deal? Yes. Um, he's a, he's not a shithead. Off the ice. All right. There you go. There we go. Uh, what is the likelihood that Todd Nelson was brought in to develop physical players on the Griffins that crash the net and play tougher inside game and uh, complement all the perimeter players on the Red Wings? Um, okay. Ian SRW <clears throat> points out the Red Wings do lack a physical dimension to their game. I uh, don't want to root for a goon, but we need somebody who does more of the drive to the inside. Is Todd Nelson trying to do that with the Griffins? Okay. I agree in the sense that we don't need a goon, nor do we even need someone like a Sean Thornton who doesn't really bring anything to the table other than the quote-unquote leadership and fighting. But I would like to see someone who is a little more physical than what we have. I don't think it would hurt the team, uh, but that also has to come with some skill to your game. I mean, I'll harken back to the late 90s. Darren McCarty was a physical player, but Darren McCarty could also score goals. McCarty played the Iserman. Exactly. So uh, I would like to see Tyler Bertuzzi. Yes, he had his instance in the AHL this year that we we don't condone and don't like. But I'd like to see Tyler Bertuzzi bring a game, a physical element to the Red Wings, but also score some goals. Uh, but I don't necessarily think Todd Nelson was brought in just to do that. I, I but I, Tyler, not Tyler, cause Tyler. I don't know. I saw Tyler on Twitter, so that's why the name came into my head. Hi, Triple D, Tyler. All right, uh, cool story, Jeff. Kyle, you might have more to say about the Griffins. Um, so I have uh, admittedly only watched them a few times so far this season. I've been very occupied with the Red Wings, obviously. Um, what is going on? In, what is going on in Grand Rapids right now is kind of appalling. But when I look at it, they don't have a good lineup. Um, you know, they have, especially now without Athens, um, they're they're lacking a lot of skill. 
Um, now I spoke to one of the, one of the writers for the Edmonton Oilers at the Edmonton Journal, Jonathan Willis, who is a great writer, one of my favorites. Um, and he said that it's very unlike Nelson to, to, to be like that. He said he has always admired and aspired to be, um, the Red Wings type of possession, you know, possession power team. Um, so I don't know what Nelson is doing exactly, um, but I will admit I'm not opposed to the idea of developing a player like Anthony Mantha or even better Evgeny Svechnikov um, to or Axel Holmstrom for that that matter to not only to be like kind of like a snarl player who will get into your face and um, you know crash the net and be be a little be, you know be a little dirty within reason. Um, but I'm not. I'm what I'm not cool with are developing your players into plugs like like a Sean Thornton, essentially just a potato that you put on the ice, and it, that potato just grows arms and fights everybody. Um, so I'm okay with it, but it can't like, like they can't keep losing for a long term. Like that can't happen. Um, I'll tell you honestly. Um... Where I stand, I don't know. I haven't watched any Griffin's games, so I don't know like how truly bad they've been. But if the case is that Todd Nelson is brought along to essentially make the Griffins tougher, I will trade every single Griffin's game. I will accept every Griffin's game being a loss if it makes future Red Wings players play better. Yeah, (laughs) I have always said that, and I've actually Michelle has given me some flack for that before. um, Where I said I would trade. Uh, four seasons worth of Griffin's losses, like zero and eighty-two for um, Red Wing success. That's not yeah. even question. Not not one Stanley Cup. I don't even care. Even even a Stanley Cup final. Like I would obviously, think- I want them to win more games and learn how to win games. But I don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing for them to lose games as the Griffins, because uh, I don't think I would necessarily mind Anthony Mantha coming up with a damn, I want to win some games, chip on his shoulder at the NHL Right, I haven't really performed, you know, up to par at the AHL level, so I really need to perform in the spotlight. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. Uh, Not to say that that's something that should be, like, you know, an internal plan, but um, I wouldn't be opposed to it. So if that means, if them losing out the season uh, means that Mantha or Bertuzzi or Svechnikov comes up at some point and you know, plays like hell on wheels like Larkin is right now. So be it. I'm cool with it. Whatever. Yep. Joe, what do you think? I'm not really on board with the idea of like trading losses. I understand that our priorities are with the Red Wings and, you know, the Griffins could theoretically miss the playoffs and that wouldn't necessarily make the Red Wings any worse. Uh, I just don't think that accepting a losing environment is a good way to bring along the prospects. Uh, I'm not really sure that Nelson was brought in just for to bring a specific dimension to the Griffins. I think he was brought in because uh, he's been an AHL coach for a long time. Yeah, that's that's basically where I am with that. I'm not too... I don't really place a lot of a priority on physicality in the NA, at the in the NHL game anymore. I don't. Th- I just think that the Red Wings have been have had this certain identity for so long, and they shed some of their physicality along with it when they when players like Maltby, McCarty, Draper, Drake retired, and now you have guys like uh, Athanasiu manning the third line. You 
we're talking about replacing guys like Ferraro and Glenn Denning with some skill guys on the fourth line, putting Yurko on there. And that's just, I feel like that's where this team is going. And I think that's where they will get the most success, will bring themselves the most success. Now, if they were to bring along a player like, uh, I'm trying to think of who, who's a prototypical power forward in today's NHL. Um, David Backus. Justin Ablicator. Yeah, but Ablicator's had such a small sample size of his scoring that... I was being sarcastic. You know who truly fits the power forward mold? Alex Ovechkin is a power forward. This is true. Vladimir Tarasenko. And he's also a, super, he's also a superstar as well. Well, that's uh, the thing. Is they're all, it's, it's a freaking unicorn term. Here's the thing about physicality. Take a skill guy, teach him how to be physical. The very best forward checker the Red Wings had in the game against Ottawa was Gustav Tiny European Nyquist. And he was playing the body. He was taking pucks away from people. Like, I think there's this big myth that physicality means you got to be a Darren McCarty type hitting everything that moves. It does not. You've got to push people off the puck at the right angles so that you can steal it and get the puck away from them. Yeah, and I, and I remember when I was recapping the game against Calgary, one play I pointed out uh, from Dylan Larkin was that he was in a foot race to the puck that he knew he was going to win, but he also knew that he was going to take a hit to get the puck. So when he got there, he put, positioned his body in such a way that he protected the puck, protected himself so that he didn't have to take such a huge hit, and essentially let the guy go to where the puck wasn't. Uh, it let Larkin set up so that he could make a pass out of the zone, and he basically sprang Darren Helm going the other way. And I'm just like, oh, and, and for Larkin, that was one of those plays that made me think, wow, this guy's. There's just another example of why this guy's really good and deserved to be on the team from day one. But it's also another example of how there's, you, there, like you said, there's being there's being physical, and then there's using your body to uh, protect the puck and get the puck going in the right direction. Yeah. All right. We got. Uh, we're running short of time. We got a bunch of a bunch more really good questions. I want to hit. Uh, Beer league arbitration had three questions for us. Uh, when Kenny leaves, step down, fired. Uh, who's going to replace him? Um, is it going to be Ryan Martin? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be Martin. Yeah, I don't think there's. I, there's I, nobody I else. honestly don't think they're going to bring Iserman home. I, I don't. No. Know that he necessarily wants that. Uh, will there be any updates on the morning skate prediction contest? Yes, we are going to nag Lauren about that real soon. Um, she's going to be working on that. And assuming the league survives slash thrives, do you see Detroit as a potential, potential expansion market for a uh, NWHL team, the uh, the women's league? No. That'd yeah, be cool. It would be cool, but no. Uh, uh, I think that ha- I think it's a difficult question to answer simply because we don't know what the viability of the league itself is at this point. But if the league is viable, I think we see a Detroit franchise within a decade. I just think there's too much going. I mean, I could see no, that. Yeah, I'm, if the league I mean, goes viable, yeah, it's going to take a while to want to go to Detroit because Detroit doesn't have the population base that it once was. Detroit is right. not a huge city anymore, although they yeah. do good. It's not that I'm. Yeah, it's not that I'm against the NWHL by any means. Yeah, they've um, got good it's, history. It's more of the fact that I am like this city. I mean, with the Red Wings currently, um, I feel like that's probably all the hockey they want, um, and. Uh, I mean, you, you, I don't want to compare it, but they had the Plymouth Whalers here, the OHL team. You can't really compare it, but the Plymouth Whalers bottomed out big time, and they, you know, they sold and they went up to Flint, which I don't know how they're doing there now, but um, they think, all quit. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, I think <laughs> they, I think the next thing on track, possibly for the city of Detroit, is maybe, and this is a long, like down the road a little bit, is an MLS team, soccer team. So we don't need to talk about that, but. 
I think yeah, that's, that's probably not. yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, I have it five or S one nine wants to know um, how much longer are we going to have Mickey Redman around? He's been uh, making a lot more mistakes lately than he ever has been. Like he's seems to be uh, lost his step in his color commenting game. I love Mickey. I'm yeah. ready to pro. If we moved on, I wouldn't be heartbroken. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm ready. I, I paused there before I said that, but but he, uh, I agree with you. It, it, I would I would rather have a more analytics guy or or someone who can who can do a little more X's and O's for us than 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 Mickey. Not um, that he, to take anything yeah. away because he did play the game. But I love Mickey. He's just I, I I love him for his you know his ridiculous commentary. Um, other than that, you know he's really old school and uh, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, we're already seeing him like kind of back off. He doesn't travel with the team anymore unless it's to like Montreal or maybe even Toronto or something. So I think he's like starting to get sick of it. And, and uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm yeah. I like when Osgood does it. He needs more reps. He's still very green in the broadcast booth, but the more he does it, the better I think he'll get. It, it, he, he, I, I, yeah, I don't mind. Grand him. Rapids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I think they've been looking for a Mickey replacement for a few years, and like they just haven't found the guy who's like really been able to stick. If they find a really good uh, color guy, I think they may ask Mickey to uh, to step aside for him. But like right now, the best color guy we have is probably Darren Elliott, and that's that's not good. I don't like Darren Elliott. Yeah, I prefer Oscar to Darren Elliott. Yeah, yeah. Uh, A white fifty four wants to know what everybody's favorite memory at the Joe is. Joe, let's start with you. Have you ever been to the Joe, Joe? My favorite memory of the, yes, Joe, the Joe will be will be uh, probably next season during the, the finale season. Right on. So we'll wait on that. Jeff, what's your favorite memory ever at the Joe? Oh, man, I've been to so many games at the Joe, a lot of them when I was a young child that I, I can't vividly remember. But one thing I remember is I, I believe it was game one of the 2002 Western Conference semifinals against St. Louis. And I believe it was Pavel Datsuk's first playoff goal. It was definitely his first goal in that second round series against Blues because it was the first game. But he just the, the the Red Wings won the faceoff, and he just it was a beautiful shot that he just roofed top top shelf, and and it was just one of those moments where he was a rookie, and you're like, shit, this guy's pretty good, and I just I like that moment. And H two H two was awesome. Kyle, um, game two of the 1998. Stanley Cup final against Washington Capitals uh, because I was there and they won and it was I was a little kid and I cried and it was amazing and yep that was the best so Red Wings please do that again at some point mine was the the H2H2 game Um, this was the uh, the big gathering of the the Red Wings internet people there were what probably 50 60 of us there there's a lot of us there it was a game against Edmonton, and it was boring. Um, it wasn't overtime. Until Datsuk tied it in the third period, and I remember, like, we were all having fun anyway. Um, when Datsuk scored that goal, I got up and it was jumping around, and Tyler, the Triple D, got up too, and, like, we, like, he jumped into my arms in the aisle, and we almost tumbled down the stairs together. <laughs> it, was, it was beautiful, and uh, it was a magical moment. Um Speaking of magical moments, Wings fan in Leafland, uh, when Tatar scored, what did you yell slash how did you react? I didn't yell. I didn't want to wake anybody up, but um, I did a very drawn-out fist pump clap, like one clap to fist pump, and then I immediately put my fingers on my keyboard so I could get it up on the website and and, and gif it. So. Right on. Jeff, how did you react to the Tatar's game-winning goal? 
Well, like I, I was so now where I'm, I'm sitting on my couch right now, and in front of my couch is a coffee table, and in front of the coffee table is a little bit of area, and the television in between two bookshelves. I'll take a picture and I'll post it on Twitter. But I was standing up between the <laughs> between the coffee table and the television as as my wife was sitting on the couch, just like, "What are you doing? Just stop!" And I like double fist pumped it, like really, like, Ugh! and I was really excited, and then I was like, "Yeah!" And then I was like, "Woo!" And then it, and then she went to bed, and I came podcast with you guys. I was like, yeah. And then I poured another drink, and I drank it, and it was just, I was, it was like, fuck you guys for giving the senators a point, but like, yeah, Tatar, love you. <laughs> Joe, can you top that? I was angry because my stream crapped out. Oh, oh, that's right. You, you said that. That sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah, I did the quiet like. Um, the yeah, fuck yeah thing that that gift with the yeah, uh, because <laughs> yeah. uh, my kids were in bed, so I had to be quiet. And uh, my wife was sitting next to me. She thanked me for not waking the kids up because I often do that when the Red Wings score. It <laughs> uh, was really nice when I met her. She she's really nice. she really appreciated that you remembered her birthday. Like the very <laughs> first thing you said to her was, "I just tweeted that picture from the Wim account by accident." So we're just gonna go with it. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's. Let's rock that out. Just search for that. It's uh, hashtag Wim Radio. Uh, Octopus Connoisseur, would you take the midnight train going anywhere? Probably no. not. I'm no. be honest. The answer is no. I've no. got places to be. I've got a family. I have, like, part of a family, so. I'd um, take it to Stanley Cupville. Last set of questions from Nazaro, and then we're done. We're so, um, we're so heavy right now. The, <laughs> the Red Wings are, are getting better, so it is it is good. Um, but when do you think the Sens will crash? I think they're already kind of crashing, aren't they? I mean, I saw a statistic. Like, they've only won four games in, like, I don't know, it was like four, five, and seven or something. Uh, I don't know. I feel like they've won only a couple of games in uh, regulation, and it's not they're, very good. They're five, two, and three in their last ten. We are five, five, and oh. So they're basically better at losing than we are. Here's okay, my answer. Yeah. I, I don't give a shit. Just win your fucking games, Red Wings. I'm not worried. If you don't, if you just win your games, and we don't have to worry about other teams. Boom, lawyered. Detroit has nine regulation or overtime wins, which is equal to their total wins of nine. Ottawa has eight total wins, only five of which came in regulation or overtime. So they go to a shitload of shootouts. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. Ottawa has fucking five row wins out of like that's. It seems very rare. They're only they're only one more than Toronto, who has four. Yeah, Toronto sucks. They only have five wins, though. Ottawa has eight. What? Next question. <laughs> that was the last of the questions. Let's, oh, good. Let's move All on. Right. Yeah. All right. We're, we're, we're blowing through this shit because, again, like I mentioned, we are heavy. And if this was television, I would be in trouble with master control. So we had Wednesday, home versus the Capitals. Friday, home versus the Kings. Saturday, on the road for JJ St. Louis Blues. JJ, how do the wings do? Uh, six points. Six points. Okay, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Kyle. <laughs> Five points. Five points. Also not going to happen. Joseph. Win-win, loss, because I will actually get to watch the entire game. 
Okay, you're also wrong. Two points is probably the best they do this week. I'm going to be realistic here because last week you guys were way too fucking happy about like, oh, the, the Sharks are different. We, we're we not afraid of them anymore and Boston sucks and then we got swept. So That's the problem is we were playing shitty teams. We're playing good teams this week. Right, you know, yeah. Play against good yeah, I'm, and, I'm not and also we went, we went 12-0-2 against the Central Division last because year. Because Ovechkin's going to get 16 shots on Wednesday and he's going to actually score some goals. Milan Lucic will probably spear someone in the balls and then the Kings will score a goal at the same play and win and then the Blues like fuck them so though actually the Red Wings will win that game uh, honestly watching Ovechkin break Fedorov's record uh, against the Red Wings is going to be great knowing that he had the opportunity to do it in front of Fedorov and didn't yeah that's like true. I'm looking forward to that uh any okay final hockey related thoughts Joseph hit me let's go Red Wings okay Kyle um let's go Red Wings and JJ uh, Patrick Weircock has a great name. Weirdcock. It's not yeah. as good as Hancock, but I'll give it to him because I actually have C-O-C-K in my name. His is C-O-C-H, so yeah, you got he's like a wannabe. Hands. Uh, I think my... it's also pronounced Weirkosh. No. No, everybody calls it Weirkosh. Either way, Hancock greater than Weircock. Uh, my final hockey-related thought is actually hockey-related. Illich family, fuck you guys for not retiring Fedorov's number. That's <laughs> fucking bullshit. The whole ceremony was fucking bullshit. <laughs> The fact that it wasn't even shown on Fox Sports Detroit was fucking bullshit. I, I got the the information of who produces that from my boss, Denny, who used to work at Fox Sports Detroit and be the boss of the guy who runs like the Red Wings broadcast. And I tweeted him. He didn't answer to me. And I didn't expect him to. And I could get his email and I could give him a bunch of shit. But it's bullshit. And the fact that until Mike Illich dies, Sergey Fedorov's number will probably never be retired is a really sad thing. And I, JJ, you're wrong. It's one of the few things. <laughs> Things you're wrong about. Fedorov's number should be retired. It deserves to be in the rafters. No one's, no one will ever wear that number again. 91 belongs up there. He was one of the greatest players to ever play for the Red Wings. He is, without him, you do not win three Stanley Cups. Uh, he deserved better than what he got on Tuesday, and I just think it's a damn shame. From some, was my favorite point. hockey players of a child, and the first years they ever bought. So, Mike Illich and the Illich family, I generally support I you, but in that instance, fuck you guys. Okay, I just want to point out that I think you said Fox Jorts Detroit at one point. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> what a great nickname for him. What's what's worse than Fox Sports Detroit's coverage is Fox Sports people wearing jorts while they do their coverage. I don't know. Anyways, who cares? No, I care because I think it was kind of bullshit. So my, my only hope is that they held back on the, the honoring him for the Hall of Fame because they're eventually going to retire his number and they're going to go all out for that. But again, Mike Illich probably has to die for that to happen. They're going to sign Stamkos and give 91 to him. Uh, I'd actually be okay with that because he's really good. Uh, all right, guys, we're going to say goodbye. So for JJ and Joseph and Kyle, it's been a pleasure. And holy fuck, if anyone's actually made it to this point of the podcast, you deserve like fucking million dollars that we don't have to give you, but you deserve it. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And this has been Winging at Motown Radio. Bye, right, everybody. Let's go Red Wings. Winging it. Winging it. Winging it.